If you have a Bible with you this morning, open with me to John chapter 4. We're going to continue on in John chapter 4. We began last week um, talking about the Samaritan woman. Last week I had a brain freeze. And uh, I, I, have you ever thought of a word so frequently that you, it, the word gets weird all of a sudden? I've had that happen before with the word like light bulb. Um, has thrown me off before uh, and some other words. So last week as I was preaching, I was like Samarian, Samarian. Samaritan, Smartian, um, had that moment, and uh, our, our good friend Howard was here last week, and I, I went up to him, and he said, hey, great job. I said, man, I, I kind of blew it on the Samarian thing, and he said, wait a minute, and if you don't know Howard, he's like a big monster of a man, deep voice like this, he says, wait a minute, you're telling me you're human? all forgiven until I saw my wife and daughters and then they started laughing at me as well. So I'm glad that we're a family here and all that. Um, I was going to say, man, this has been a hard week, but as I thought about it, it's been a hard week, hard month, months, hard years uh, for many as I look out here and see my church family. And so I, I want to say that um, we, we have hope and so when we sing, it is well with my soul, know that for some of us, it's just like, God, I do believe, but help my unbelief. When our feelings aren't matching our, our, our faith, that we know it's going to be okay, but it doesn't feel like it in the moment, that's an okay place to be. The beautiful thing is, it's okay in, in God's church to not be okay. Uh, it's just not okay to stay not okay. Because we have the hope and promise that Jesus does make all things okay. And so we're able to say, I'm not okay, but it will be okay, and be honest about that in that moment. So as we were singing it as well with my soul, I think of my friends that are here that may be like, it doesn't feel well. That's okay. That, that, let that be your prayer. God, make it well. Help, help my emotions and my mind align with that. I was reflecting with Stephanie this weekend. I had the privilege of walking with Christella's family this past week and I talk about a family that was grieving well. Um, Ramsey was kind of like the worship DJ, so if there's ever a need for a worship DJ, I'm going to call you up and let you kind of throw my mix because you, you're on point every time. Like you had a great mix going, but just honoring the Lord in their grief and reflecting on mom in a healthy way. Um, but as I was talking with Steph, it was like funerals are interesting things. Celebration life are interesting thing. And uh, because we have a tendency to make people sound better than they actually are. Right? And, and I could say what, what I knew of Christella, what I knew of, of her testimony, witness of people around her, what I knew of the showing of outpouring of love, that uh, while imperfect in her body and in flesh, like all of us, she strived to live a life of a come and see life. This was my life, but I met Jesus, and as I've known Jesus, this became my life. There's been a transformation and a change. And so, uh, first of all, for Pastor Marcus and any other of us in ministry, uh, live a life that it's easy to have authentic um, uh, transparency and integrity when we preach your funeral, right? That's just a, a jealous ask, a, a selfish ask. But more importantly, because we're not guaranteed tomorrow, let us live today and every day as if it's our last day. And who is it or what is it that we want to point people to the most? And so as we continue going through John chapter 4, we began in John chapter 4 last week, where we met the Samaritan woman. And I have it even my note with a capital T in the middle of it, just in case I lose my mind again. But as we look at the Samaritan woman last week, we see Jesus coming 
to a place that he had to go. It was necessary that he went through Samaria, not Samarita. He went through Samaria to a place of half-bred, partial Jews, partial mixed with Assyrians and other people, intermarried, thought of as dogs by Jewish people. And so he was sitting by Jacob's well, and a woman comes midday. Typically, the women would come early in the morning or in the evening, the cooler times, except for the outcasts. The outcasts would come during the day so that they didn't have to be around the other people and feel and sense or sometimes even hear their shame from others in their community. And so she came out alone, and Jesus did some crazy things like asked her for a favor. Could you give me water? And then began talking to her about spiritual things and he would say things like if you knew who it was that was asking you to get him water you would ask him for water because the water i give you brings up in you eternal life springs up and she's like i want that water And he's like go get your husband she's like i don't have a husband he's like you've had five and now the person you're living with isn't even your husband but he didn't start dogging her because of her sin. He just brought out what was true. And like most of us do, we either hide or blame or shift the subject or focus if we've been in sin. All of a sudden she says, well, your people say you should marry in uh, Israel, Jerusalem. Our people say over here in this mountain over here. She changes the subject. And he said, for now, up until this point, it was important where, but now the real importance has always been the real importance. It's who. And he declared himself to her that he is the Messiah. And interestingly, he would avoid that declaration amongst Jewish hearers because they were looking for a messianic, a messianic, not messianic, sorry guys, messianic warrior king. Just giving you all material for later. Messianic warrior king. To take over the Roman Empire and to put the Jewish people back in power. And so we pick up with Jesus as he's been talking to this woman and uh, picks up in verse 27, John 4, verse 27. It says, Just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. The main point we'll see in this passage today is that an authentic experience with Jesus leads to a consequential testimony. A real experience with the person and work of Jesus has a result. It, the outcome is a testimony that brings about change. I had to learn the word consequence when I was 22 years old. I mean, I knew it uh, like as an elementary school student where you had your rules uh, on, the, on the, the, school, the classroom wall, and then you had the C word, the consequences, if you broke the rules. I didn't realize also if you got a gold star, that was also a consequence. But I, I knew very much the kind of the how far can I push the envelope without having to get my parents called through the, the budget of the consequence list. What rules did I want to break and to what extent to not fully get in trouble? Turns out when I was 22, I was relearning how to read because I'm dyslexic, ADHD, and finally diagnosed as I was about to drop out of college. Uh, my parents were like, nah, but let's figure out what's going on. As I was relearning to read, the word consequence came up. And I learned that consequence is something that happens as a result of something else. Simple definition. 
No longer positive, negative. It just is a, something that happens as a result of something else. And so when I say that when you have an authentic experience with Jesus, it leads to a consequential testimony. It, what it means is that your story that you're telling no longer is just your story. Your story is an illustration ultimately of God's story, of what he accomplished through his son Jesus. And when that has really impacted you, it brings change in the lives of people around you. Transformation. Change. And so... The rabbis taught during that time that it was not worth a man's time to speak to a woman, especially a Samaritan, about deep theological matters such as this. Yet Jesus was speaking to a woman like this, specifically and directly, and one of the first ones of which he exposed the reality that he was indeed the promised one, the sent one, the Messiah. And so immediately she leaves her jar and she goes back into town. His disciples are like, what are you up to, man? But they don't say anything. And it led to their surprise that he was talking to a Samaritan woman in midday. They, they could put two and two together. But she left her jar and all the water that she had been getting because she wanted to go tell the water that was now springing up within her to other people. So in spite of this woman's obvious reputation, people heard her testimony and went out to see Jesus. There were two things that she said. Come and see. Come see. Come see the man who told me everything. He knew everything about me. Interestingly, people started going and seeing from this woman. There was something different enough, something compelling enough, something drawing enough that led them to come and see. Verse 31, it continues, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples, who, and this, I'm just adding this in there, it's not in the Bible, but are keen at this point on missing the point. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For, there, for here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor." The disciples were urging Jesus to partake of the physical, but Jesus was consumed with the mission at hand. And as a fellow big boy, I can understand food's important. You don't want to miss many meals. It, you can get, as we like to call these days, hangry. Right? You've got to keep things prioritized, but Jesus, being about the Father's work, was willing to put the spiritual importance and the mission at hand above that of his immediate physical comfort. He obviously ate and drank water along the way because he continued on from this place. But he was emphasizing the point that we have a tendency to prioritize physical comforts over spiritual sacrifice. Or physical sacrifice for the good of spiritual advancement. Amen. We've become comfortable. 
The disciples obviously just wanted to care for the guy they were following, but they were caught up in the fact that, hey, hey, is, did you bring him something? Did, did he have something left over? They were concerned about those things. While Jesus was moving over saying, hey, maybe you're waiting for a sign that now's the time for God's kingdom to become transformational here. Look up. But the schedule says, look up. There's a harvest that's ready. I don't know much about farming. I eat farmed things. And we're starting to grow a little garden in our backyard. And I say we, meaning the girls, and I'm dealing with ants and heavier things. But there's one thing for something to take an amount of time it needs to take. There's another thing when it's done and you know it's done. It's like you, you old Brenham boys and Chapel Hill boys and Belleville boys and all you other good old boys that like your meat barely dead. You might hear recipes that it takes, you know, a good four minutes on either side to get to a certain degrees, but whatever, but ultimately it's set by eyesight. And if you're really picky, the thermometer. So it doesn't matter how long it's been on there. If it's ready to go, it's ready to go. Right? It's, it's ready. And most of y'all, it's just not breathing. That's where you draw the line. Well, it ain't breathing. That's good. Put some salt on it. be fine. But with that in mind, like he's saying, hey, open your eyes. The harvest is plentiful. People have asked me before, do you prefer to preach weddings or funerals? And I've done a few weddings for some of you. I prefer funerals. Because people are willing to slow down and consider life and look around and consider the life of others and, and think about spiritual things once again. And here a reminder, if they are a follower of Jesus, quit wasting it. Don't wait. I, I talk to so many students. Oh man, once I'm done with college, I'll get married and settle down. Then I'll be godly. Whoa! No guarantees you get there. There's no guarantees. This woman having had a transformational encounter, went and told others. The disciples were like, well, Lord, have you eaten? Uh, are we on time, on agenda? We're a few days off on our schedule. They're worrying about the physical immediacy. And Jesus is teaching them, hey, the fun part of gardening and the fun part of farming is actually getting to reap the rewards of it and to enjoy the fruit of the labor. He's saying, hey, the prophets, and even more so the Lord, has been laboring for some time, sowing seed and preparing the way. Open your eyes, the harvest is ready. His mission was to do God's will and to accomplish His work. That's what He wanted to be about. He wanted to do God's will and to accomplish His work. Our physical needs should never supersede the spiritual. It doesn't mean we ignore our physical needs. Sometimes you're exhausted, you need to rest. Sometimes your blood sugar is low. You need to eat. Sometimes your body is thirsty. You must drink something. But let's not ignore what the Spirit of God is up to and doing. There's times where we forego some of those things for the short term, for the hope and promise we have for the eternal. 
while the disciples need to be lauded, oftentimes they were continuing to think about the mission ahead of them, moving down the way, moving the ball forward. They were missing the mission at hand. Because those who had gone before them, John the Baptist, the prophets, and ultimately God, had prepared this harvest, and God's will for the disciples was to work the harvest and rejoice with those who had prepared it at its gathering time. And the beautiful thing is when we participate in the harvest, we're joining with God and those who have gone before us. What we're continuing to do here today at Redeemer is an ongoing effort, not only of believers like Christella or Lloyd or Linda, but for generations and generations of believers who have done the hard work, for the martyrs who have given their life so that we might have and know the good news of Jesus. Our role is not always a harvester. Sometimes we are the ones who will do the sowing. Sometimes we're scattering seeds. I remember about 10 years ago, maybe a little longer, I went and spoke at a youth group ski retreat. I don't think they should probably have speakers there because it's just more of an obligatory thing for the youth group, youth leader to have an excuse to go skiing on someone else's dime for the sake of ministry. And this guy was working me hard. I was speaking two to three times a day for like four or five days. And these kids did not want to be there. And they were not prepared for it. Even at the hotel, they're like, oh man, we didn't bring a music stand or anything. Uh, and so I ended up preaching on a, stacked, a stack of t-shirt boxes as my pulpit. I finally quit waking kids up the second day. I'm like, here's the mercy of, of the ser- midday sermon or devotional so you can have a nap so you can go hit the slopes again. And it was in Boone, North Carolina. If you've ever been skiing in Boone, North Carolina, a lot of it's manufactured. Um, And and so like the buddy of mine who was playing percussion in the band was skiing in front of me and sparks were flying out from his skis because the rocks were coming through the snow. And so overall, it was kind of a nightmare trip. And I was preaching, and it was a Baptist church. like, man, make sure you give invitations. and give it. So I would give an invitation. I'd give a response. I'd hop on one foot. Um, I'd ask him, do you love your grandma? Raise your hand. I was trying to trick him. Whatever it took. Crickets. Not a soul. Half the time was even awake. But I was, I was preaching, and I was still in seminary, so I had, I had it all figured out, I thought. I was just like, I don't even know why I went there. The next Thursday morning, Mark, the youth pastor, called me and said, oh my gosh, we had 12 kids come to Christ on Wednesday, and they were all on that ski retreat. And it made me pause and think of things like this. We all want the victory, and we all want the fruit and the reward, but what if our link in the chain is just a seed sower? Can we be okay with that? Can we be okay that, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, for one scatters a seed and another one waters it, but ultimately it's God who brings the harvest? That we can find joy in the fact that we get to be a link in that chain. an instrument of God's grace because we've received it, we can reflect it. But he was telling the disciples, hey, look around. 
The harvest is ready. These Samaritans, they matter to God. And they are lost. And they want to hear. And so it goes on. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. That's all she had. She didn't know the the Roman road. She didn't know, and if you're not from the church, basically that's like uh, some scriptures disjointedly taken out of context that we take people through in Romans to get people to trust Jesus. It's a useful tool. I'll use it and use it. but, But like that's just we're trying to slam something together. This is what she knew. He told me all that I ever did. That's where she was so far. Some of you, you're pretty new to the faith, and all that you have to say is, I realized I was at odds with God, and that Jesus lived, died, and rose again to make me right with God. And I believe that. That's a start. Well, prove it. How do you know? What if the world is billions of years old? All I know is this. So far. You can go read Not Enough Faith to be an atheist. You can go read other apologetics books. They're awesome and good. You can go learn the Bible. But you don't have to wait till you have all the answers. You can start by saying, I was lost, now I'm found. I was blind, now I see. I was dead, now I'm alive because of Jesus. We start somewhere. And so if you're like, well, I don't have the script down right. If you need scripts, Marcus and I can develop some power statements for the gospel if you need. But really, at this point right now, all we need to say is like, hey, I, I didn't know God, now I know God. I didn't have purpose, but now I have eternal purpose. So with this mindset here, this woman began by saying, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. So talk about messing up plans. It's kind of like when Marcus and I have been to Africa. Your plans are not your own. You're done preaching for, or teaching a theology class for like eight hours. Like, now we're going to go do evangelism. But I'm hungry. Oh, you can eat later. Come on, Pastor CC. My friend Linus. Pastor CC, let's go do evangelism. Okay, we'll go do evangelism. Right? It's, the harvest is there. It's ready. And they asked him to stay, and he stayed. And look at this, verse 41, And many more believed because of His Word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard our, uh, for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. The woman's testimony did lead to the belief of many. God can use the foulest of people who have been redeemed by Jesus to point others to Him. He does do that. But the ultimate point is not to point them to a Christella or a Lloyd or a Linda or a Casey or a Marcus or a Walt, but to Jesus. Because if all that we give is faith in us and they want to latch onto our faith, we have missed it. And He uses whoever He wills. And they ultimately came to believe not because of the testimony or the life of someone else, but because they encountered Jesus and they believed Jesus and they were transformed by Jesus. The reality is, all of us are proclaiming a message of good news, a gospel. Our lives are proclaiming something that we are saying is great. What gospel is your life currently preaching? 
I know I can get misaligned, and I'm trained at doing this type of stuff. All of us have the tendency to wander. All of us have a tendency to proclaim other gospels, other good news, other better news. But that's why repentance is such a gift. Old Testament repentance is a change of direction. New Testament is a change of thinking. Realigning ourselves with what's true about the Lord and what He says about us and how He defines us and how He identifies us. That's our true hope of liberation and transformation. We're all preaching a gospel of some kind. Some of the false gospels I know I can preach at times are about business or marriage or good kids or education or good books or, or good money or giving away money. I can be misled and make good things ultimate things all the time. I can even now, I've been a Christian long enough, I can even use Jesus-type statements to deflect myself from the fact that I'm not living in line with the Lord. I can church it up and say good things and even deceive myself all the while the Lord's not deceived. And so when I confess, like I've said to you before, when we confess to God, God's not like, you what? You did you you thought you thought that? He's like, finally. Confession is agreeing with God. You're right, Lord, that's not right. Speeding and cutting people off and flipping them off ain't right. Not paying my taxes ain't right. Living together before marriage is not right. Lord, I I see it. I realign. Overeating, undereating, not right. There's a lot of ways that we're prone to wander, isn't it? Looking at that, not looking at this, reading this, not reading that. All these things, we get ourselves all caught up especially when we focus on our life in the Lord based upon our own success at obedience. When really the only thing that makes us right with the Lord is the Lord Himself. And so when our righteousness is found in God, this Samaritan woman could go with full confidence immediately having something to share because all the stuff, the husband she had, the, the people she was married to or not married to or living with and not married to, whatever, he spoke through that to her soul. Even though he knew all that, he still chose to speak to her and reveal to her, I am the Messiah. There's coming a time where God is looking for people to worship him in spirit and in truth. That's what he's looking for. And in that worship, we're able then to find life and enjoyment because of who God is and the promises He's made. And so I would ask us, church, in what ways are we inviting people to come and see? What ways are we inviting people to taste and see that the Lord is good? Are are we entering into people's suffering, not suffering and grieving on them, but coming alongside and grieving with them? Are we proclaiming the good news of Jesus? Are we letting people know that, hey, while this is wrong or you're not on the right path, we're not going to abandon you or judge you. We're going to help realign you because of Jesus. So are, are we... And, and I'm not just saying, like, look, we, we start somewhere, and so it might be like a Bible verse bumper sticker or a fish bumper sticker. I don't have one of those in my car because I'm not a perfect witness all the time. 
But it's got to move beyond these trite little statements and shirts and trinkets to a faith that is different. That is patient and kind. It doesn't envy or boast. It's not jealous or rude. It doesn't keep tracks of wrong suffered. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. That kind of love. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a story to share. And that story should be drenched with the good news of Jesus. As you grow in the Lord and you have understanding of God's Word, you're able to go and bring it to people in love and say, here's what's true. I've wandered as well. I'm not, I'm not coming here saying I'm, I'm better or more perfect or I haven't made the same exact mistakes. But the good news is it's not based upon my truth. It's based on God's truth. And so our hope for each other is to realign towards God's truth, to live and experience God's blessing. And God's blessing ultimately is the presence of God himself. So you have a story to share. You have the word of God to share. You have your life to give and share and to sacrifice for others. You have a church community to invite people to come and see. I know Marcus and anybody else that teaches here will do our very best to faithfully proclaim the gospel of Jesus. I tell people all the time, if you have someone that's ready to hear and and hear the gospel, and you're like, hey, I need someone to help pull this fish in, I'd love to join you and get a cup of coffee or a meal or something like that to talk about the gospel. But for the purpose of discipleship, in the sense of, hey, let's Marcus and myself and the elders model for you how to do this. So that we can see more people in our area. There's a lot of people in our area that are quote-unquote Christian because they're in the South or they went to church one time that have not yet been born again by the power of God through the Holy Spirit. They need to hear the gospel. And I would say this when I was pastoring in the Woodlands area, we have a lot of negative tens out here. Zero is, I'm lost and I know it. I don't believe in God, I know it. Negative ten is, I think I'm a Christian because I've gone to church, or I've been religious, or I've been confirmed, or I was sprinkled or baptized or whatever. My heart is far from God. I don't have any desire for the things of God. So first you need to realize that, hey, you're not really saved just because you prayed a prayer or you did something one time. If your heart is directed away from God, you don't care. So people are like, well, that's backsliding. That's just or that. It's going the wrong way. We can quibble over theology, over some cupcakes or donuts, but the reality is if they're walking away from God, they're not heading the right direction. We've got to redirect. We've got to repent. As the church, as followers of Jesus. And so I would ask you, when was the last time you shared your story, your testimony with somebody? And do you know how? And like I said, it doesn't have to be extravagant or you don't have to have a wild story. And I, I, had, a, I had a minister buddy of mine call me recently and say, hey bro, I'm, I'm going to use your story in a sermon. Okay, you can borrow my testimony. Borrow Christella's. Borrow James. Borrow Waltz. Borrow Marcus. Borrow someone else. If you don't have a really compelling story, meet some people. Right around you. This is Elijah. I bet he has some stories. Start sharing Elijah's story. I don't care. Like you're like, well, well, I grew up in a Christian home. I didn't do much bad, blah, blah, blah. That's a miracle. Stuff that guys like us did, that's normal. That's what sinners do. They sin. 
We have something to tell. We have a hero to share. We have a victory that's been won. And we have to know that an authentic experience with Jesus leads to a consequential testimony. It leads to have something to say. It leads to a come and see uh, uh, life living. And so for some of you who are believers, you're just comfortable. Like I've gotten comfortable. And, and I just want to tell you in love and in grace, it's time to wake up and to lift your eyes and to see that the harvest is plentiful. We get to do the fun stuff of seeing new life born and lives transformed, and it's hard work, and it's brutal, and people will forsake us at times, but that's the real life-giving work that the disciples eventually, as you read on in John, and through Acts, will get to experience for real. That's a life worth living. That's something worth giving yourself to. Because an authentic experience with Jesus leads to a consequential testimony. We have something to say. So rather than sleep through to the next Sunday or the next community group or the next Bible study, wake up, lift your eyes, and see the harvest is ready. Let's pray.